all the junior consultants who'd sort of just made consultant, I mean, half of them turned around to me and said, go, go now. If I'd known what I know now, when I was your age, I would have gone, but it's too, it's sort of almost too late for me. You know, they had young families, all those kind of things. They had made that commitment by then. That's really interesting. Welcome to today's episode where we provide you with something slightly different. We are entering the world of creative design or arts, uh, something that we do tend to cover, but not in as great a detail because it doesn't always seem to be the area where doctors tend to explore as frequently. Um, But I am proud to introduce Joanna Draper, who previously was a core surgical trainee and is now working as the head of interior design for a large interior design company in London. So before we move on to the interview, make sure that you subscribe, leave a review, and make sure you are registered with our mailing list and join our mission of connecting one million doctors with the best and diverse career opportunities by going to medicfootprints.org forward slash join our mission. Now on to the interview. Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Welcome to the Disrupting Doctors' Careers podcast, Joanna. Thank you so much for sharing your story about your move to interior design. I mean, it's not the most common move that doctors have made, but I have come across it quite a few times now. So I think your journey would really be of significant interest to a lot of doctors who are looking to go down, as you described, the creative route. Um, but, but that in itself is like a massive umbrella. Um, but I'd love to hear more about how you first went on that journey. Um, and so even like even before you went into medicine, did you have any particular interest in creativity, arts, that kind of thing? Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, I think it's it isn't something that everyone has done. And lots of people have approached me since having done it saying gosh how did you transfer to something that seems from the outside so different to what I was doing within medicine did I have a creative background to a certain extent obviously the way the British school system works now I had to give up uh, those kind of things in favor of other subjects um, quite early on so I think I gave up true art when I was 13 I kept it up as a side hobby and always liked craft and things as a child but then obviously as these as you progress through your education it becomes chemistry biology all that that focus um I did do music for quite a long time but certainly fine art was not something I did and then as I went through my medical career I started to crave doing something more creative and I tried to find outlets in sewing drawing, all these kind of things in the time that I had off from being in the hospital. 
and I eventually went into I did um, I was in the London School of Surgery so I did core surgical training in London in the hope that I would be using my hands and that would provide the outlet I wanted to be doing things but in the end I was just like no I actually genuinely want to do something that's creative um, so that that was the impetus for me to step off the medical route and try and do something else brilliant and just uh, it's interesting to hear just stepping back um, I could echo some of what you said because I had a very strong musical background before I went into medicine and got to a point where it's like musical medicine mm. and I chose medicine so why did you decide to go down the medicine route when you you knew you kind of had that passion bubbling away I think I was you know I was at a brilliant school I'm not going to say anything about that but I think if you have a certain I think a lot of people find this if you have a certain grades in certain subjects people sort of go hmm medicine or law and yeah. <laughs> that's why I was my school much. yeah there's a sort of expectation and mm. um, you get put in this basket of you know, saying early you want to do medicine you know I turned around when I was very little and said I wanted to do medicine and I don't regret having done it because I think I, there would always been part of me that would have wanted to try it and tell myself mm-hmm. I could do it um so I'm glad I didn't sort of decide to do music and then go back to it as a graduate because I think I then would have been in a right pickle but um yes I was sort of channeled into it slightly and at the time things like music and even creative arts careers weren't sort of seen as maybe I say a viable option certainly you know they're obviously more financially unstable and all those kind of things so people have as I say medicine law and I went okay science medicine Um, but I think there's a lot of doctors who have that balance between music and medicine I know a lot of musical medics (laughs) yeah I mean I even I was part of a musical medical society um so yeah no it's it's really interesting and um so you went through your core surgical training Mm -hmm. but then at what point did you say right I'm actually going to do something about this (laughs) what was that like getting to that point it was a very long process I have to be honest about it I mean when I started core surgical training I was the keenest bean, the keenest bean wanted, you know, was set on, you know, coming in as high as I possibly could and you know, all the things you had to get signed off and really threw myself into the dedicating the hours. And I was there all the time. I was at hospital all the time. I mean, there were times when I was doing cardiothoracics. I think I was there 21 hours a day just because I was, you know, just because I was desperate to, be in theatre, get my hours, but then obviously, you know, at core surgical training level, you have ward work and all those kind of things to do as well. But I had to have my hours in theatre. So I just, in the end, I think I was ground down by the system. And it may have been you know, partly my own fault for not taking a break, but I think in the end, I just burnt out essentially. Um, I just couldn't sustain it. And I started looking at it, sort of then started to creep in. And I thought, gosh, how you know, I think you you sort of get to the end of your 20s or sort of mid to late 20s and think, wow, I've got to sustain this for another, goodness, 30, 40 years at that point for a career. And I thought, can I manage to sustain this? And I thought, actually, I don't know if I can. And my head said, you've got to really consider what you want to do. A long time before my heart said, okay, you have to let this go now. Um, And I struggled a lot which I think a lot since leaving a lot of other people have said to me with coming to terms with the fact that medicine may not be 
my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you you start to get in, or I certainly started to get into a pattern of because there's obviously a lot of uncertainty when you're training about where you might be, um, which hospital you might be working in, sort of constant moving every six months, every year. Um, I started to not commit to things. You know, there was I was obviously again getting to a period where people had weddings and all these things at weekends and you know, I never had a rotor in time so I didn't know if I could commit to things so I'd have to say no and I started to feel like I was missing out on my life as opposed yeah. to um, and just throwing everything into I don't think I was just unfortunately sacrificing too much of myself to it now mm-hmm. I, there are probably ways I could have addressed that but I at the time I really was just like I think just for my own mental health I need to step away and think about what I want to do for the rest of my life. You only get to do this once. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I said, I, I went back to, or looked at what I enjoyed and um, looked at, do, actually looked at doing architecture just because obviously there is a sort of more uh, physics and science side to that. But that's another seven years at university and all those kind of things. So I thought that's maybe not a viable option. Um and then I sort of rediscovered interior design. Um, it was something that I say I enjoyed, but liked the idea of when I was young, but wasn't a career option then. People, there weren't courses and things in it in the way there are now. And found- I just asked, were you, were you doing this whilst you were still working? So that kind of exploratory period where you're looking for yeah. other options, were you still yeah. in your surgical so training? I finished course surgical training. Okay. And then rather than applying for a number, I had been doing some work at the Royal Mars. I did one of my placements at the Royal Marsden. And they said you, they had at the time lots of openings for um, uh, surgical SHOs. So I became a sort of, I say, a mixed surgical SHO that I worked for a number of teams there um, for a year, essentially, and um, did shift work there. And actually, what I found interesting about that was doing sort of essentially bank shift work I could take as much annual leave and things as I want and commit to as many shifts as I wanted to and even by the end of that year I was like no this actually this genuinely isn't for me Um, but it gave me the opportunity to have a look at what I might be wanting to do and I stepped away um, yeah I mean I think it's really interesting that you and I I have to use this word courage I've used it on occasion but for a lot of us, because we've dedicated a lot of our careers and our identity to medicine and then stepping off that pathway or, or that conveyor belt, some people call it, mm. travelator, whatever you yeah. want to call it, and actually stepping off when a lot of our colleagues, particularly within some of the more competitive specialties, are kind of continuing up that, that path. I mean, how was it for you to actually take a break? I mean, now it's, depending on how long ago, like now it's, that much more common to just say I'm not going to be applying for specialty training this year Mm. um but you know when I when I was doing it like most of my peers were moving on to their registrar post because I'd call surgical training as well and uh it was really difficult to not apply yeah (laughs) you know what I mean and not keep my options open um so I mean how did you feel about that saying right I am not committing to anything more and I'm going to play the field in a way yeah it was I think I I think I knew deep down at the end of course mm. training that it wasn't it wasn't for me I knew it wasn't but I had to I had to find a way of making enough money to sustain myself through any 
courses or anything or a period of non-working um so I, I think I just had to you had to overcome the fact that you or I had to say to consultants because obviously a lot of them every time you go into theatre with them like oh you're applying for your number blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Or, um once you've sort of said to a few people no I'm not going to apply for my number they they ask questions but I don't know I think I battered them off um evade, <laughs> just evaded them and said oh you know I'm just waiting to see what I want what actually because I was doing at that time I was doing mainly general surgery um mm-hmm. you know what part obviously general surgery goes into colorectal breast all those kind of things you know what part of that I really wanted to do so I think it, I can't quite remember it was 2016 I think I just said look I just ex- want to explore mm-hmm. which surgical mm-hmm. specialty I want to do before I apply for my number mm-hmm. um, and people seem to understand that um yeah. I think it was harder when I had to say I'm going to give up my GMC license um, at oh. the end of the Marsden training because I wanted to leave in uh. good faith. So obviously you have to be signed off by somebody to say that you're leaving and uh, that you're not, you know, not leaving in disgrace. They signed something saying that you've, um, you know, you're fi- you're you're <laughs> you're fine. You just decided not to do it. Um, but having to own up. So to wait, hold a second. So you so you have to get signed off to relinquish your license. If you yes, if you want to completely go, if you because I wanted to keep the door open, yeah. Um, but I didn't. But I was very committed to because you can obviously just sort of go into a, a pattern where you I think pay a sort of holding fee. Yeah. Um, but I said, look, I I generally want to just just leave now. I'm done. I'm going. But I do I do want to be you know just sort of disappear and people not wonder in case for whatever reason. Um, so there's I an option of, to come oh. back yeah so provided yeah, okay, someone fine. signs you off saying um you were good at your job you haven't killed um, anyone <laughs> yeah you can yeah, yeah. um they can write you essentially a letter of commendation to say you were good at your okay. job you're just stepping away right. so I had to go right. through all that so I had to admit to one of these consultants that it's hard because they've obviously spent so much time training and investing in you that that was the biggest hurdle although I do say that the the biggest surprise to me when I left was that all the what I would call more senior consultants, those who were coming to the end of their careers, retirement age, were shocked. Gosh, how could you leave? You know, all this sort of thing. But I think they were it was a time where there were still people on the old consultant contract and things like that. You know, they were in a better position than some of the um, consultants now. And all the junior consultants who'd sort of just made consultant, I mean, half of them turned around to me and said go, go now. If I'd known what I know now, when I was your age, I would have gone, but it's too, it's sort of almost too late for me. You know, they had young families, all those kind of things. They had made that commitment by then. That's really interesting. And it was incredibly eye-opening to me. And I thought, actually, I have made the right decision. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of doctors who get to the end of their training and leave. Yeah. (laughs) Like literally CCT, goodbye, I'm off. Um, and I, I know we talk about, you know, you've got young families and you've got financial commitments, but there are lots of ways to fill in that gap that's actually yeah. will probably bring you a greater income than the standard NHS pay and pension. Mm. Um, but it's just about knowing how to go about and doing yeah. that, right? No, exactly. So, exactly. Well, let's let's move on to the core of this, which yes. is interior design. So uh, tell me a little bit more about, so you made a decision to really explore this. So what was that journey like for you? So I was fortunate in that I obviously I live in central London um, and there are a number of 
design schools in London that offer interior design courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just explored at that time. I was because I knew I was starting to get interested in careers within interior design. I read things like House and Garden. A lot of them are advertised in there, and I found a couple of courses which were year-long diplomas, um, and one particularly was attractive because it was designed for people who who had graduated with a different degree um, and then wanted to change to interior design. So it was a year's diploma, but it wasn't people who were sort of just coming out of a art foundation course or something like that. It was sort of generally career changes more than anything else. And that seemed incredibly attractive to me. And I thought, well, it's ideal. I can do this one year. Were there any other doctors on the course? No, no. (laughs) Um, Lawyers, um, lots of people coming out of um, like banking, things like that, marketing, a huge variety, actually. Some people who had done like, like ancient history and things at uni and then decided to um, change, but quite a lot of people who had had careers doing other things. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting about interior design is it does lend itself, well, I can only speak for interior design, I'm sure there's other things as well, um, is it does lend itself to quite a lot of transferable skills. Because my job now is, I would say, 10% creative, 90% logistics and operations um okay interesting because of so can, you t- can you take me through sorry as i was saying like so i mean you, you've done the diploma yeah. and how did you end up finding a job because obviously we know a lot of self-employed interior designers and then there's employed so how did you decide which route to go down sure um, um so i was actually very helpfully i went to it so i went to a college called klc i was very helpfully guided by them on sort of what the options were you do an internship during your only for a couple of weeks but during your placement um and they have lots of contacts because lots of the industry have been there to college so then I still have they still have contacts within the industry um so they have their own careers service essentially um which puts up opportunities for junior designers design assistants all those things as soon as you are leaving now I was incredibly fortunate in that the place that I interned contacted me before I graduated and said we've got an opening coming up would you be interested so I actually graduated I mean virtually this week five years ago six years ago I'm in track now five years ago and um had a week off and started on the Monday wow um and I've worked there ever since and what what role did they offer you like what kind of Work. So, what was it like your first year yeah so I went in as I went in as a design assistant okay so it sort of starts as design assistant junior designer middleweight designer senior designer and I um I went in as a design assistant there was a lot of I guess change in the company at the time and I think what people don't realize what you're sort of is indoctrinated into you as a medic is you're sort of only good for medicine. Well, that's certainly the way I felt when I came out, that I I didn't have any other skills. I was just a medic. Of course, it's complete fallacy. Um, all this, I mean, the constant juggling we have to do as doctors, the prioritisation, the task management, the time management, thinking about a million things at once, juggling a load of, you know, juggling plates as things are happening all over the shop. Um 
dealing with pressure, dealing with difficult people, all these things are incredibly helpful um, and give you an interesting perspective on the wider world when you actually um, enter a completely different career. So I went in as a design assistant, but because it's sort of not the same environment as medicine, I, you don't have to do just, you have to do your year before you can progress to junior designer and then you have to do three years of junior designer like it is you know in medicine you do you have to do your designated amount of time I found that actually these skills were valued quite early on and were recognized as useful mm-hmm. um I think in interesting way um a lot of it, the people coming into interior design come from a heavily creative background so perhaps haven't had so much exposure to dare I say it, but like maths, <laughs> understanding finance, all this kind of thing. Well, doctors don't have that much experience or exposure to maths or finance either. Well, maths, <laughs> maths, I, think, maths I think we do enough anyway. Um, Not day to day, really. I mean, yeah, we've done research and the stats, et cetera, et cetera. But on the day to day, I think clinical work. No, but I mean, I th- you know, I don't need, you know, I don't need extreme maths to do um um purchasing and things for interior design Mm. but um I think because I do a lot of technical drawing and things now you know I think I think doctors generally have kept maths on longer maybe um at school than some people who went straight into creative and so I think coming in having a background that with a good understanding of maths and the scientific yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah I um I was at an advantage from the outset so I actually then well virtually by the end of that same year I was a junior designer and then um I gradually worked uh, there was a couple of situations which meant that I ended up having to do a project in the US um because my team couldn't go and I at the time didn't have children and all these kind of things so um I was able to go to New York 12 times in a year. Wow. And <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I took advantage of that. And then just, again, luckily through circumstance, um, the person who ran our department left in the end of 2019 and I was given the job. So I became head of the interior design department in January of 2020. And now I run a team of eight designers in yeah five years since leaving medicine that is so impressive and I think it's quite interesting because you said like 10% of of it is creative but then the majority of it is logistic stuff which really draws upon your medical background and the skills you've gained from medicine not necessarily the the knowledge of medicine but the transferable skills yeah and I think as you imagine it's there's so many different moving parts I'm sure anyone who's done any kind of house um renovation or an extension or anything like that knows you're constantly dealing with a million people and you need you know I have to think about lots of detailing just because of the nature of the the work I do with the company I'm with Um, but every single sofa and chair is bespoke to a certain extent so I'm working with lots of different suppliers I've then got to get fabric for it the right place I've got to get it fire treated I've got to get it you know it's just it's balancing all those things and then on top of that you're dealing with people who often when they're having their house done quite stressed just it's just a nature of 
the beast either they're because they're living in the house or because you know they've got huge they've financially invested in it and all these kind of things so I think you get exposed to so many people as a doctor and you see reactions to so many things that um it's hugely helpful when dealing with people who get quite stressed about a lampshade not arriving or whatever it is <laughs> but it's amazing mm. it's amazing the um what the, sort of what you can be faced with and I think it's easier a doctor to be slightly less phased by that and I think also mm -hmm. you know people do lose the plot over certain things and you can actually physically say to them it is not life or death if this sofa doesn't arrive in the grand scheme of things it is not life or death <laughs> you, you, know, you have to just maintain a little bit of perspective um and I think that helps running a team of people now you know with people who are more junior than me and they have a moment when everything I don't know something goes awry the shipment gets lost whatever it is but you're able to say just take a breath it's got you know it is going to be fine and we can there is a solution to it without getting overly stressed by it because you know what life or death is I guess um and so I don't get as phased I think by things actually Mm. So, I mean, I think that's really insightful. I'd actually like to come on to another question, which a lot of doctors face, and I think we alluded to it earlier, as to the money side of things. So sure. I think one of the, the biggest sticking points for many doctors and or the worry is, will I earn enough money to support myself in another industry or sector? Um, so in interior design, particularly as, I mean, let's talk about employed and self-employed, if you have some insights into that. Like what kind of salary points should would doctors expect at a kind of like a junior level to senior or like where is where is the boundary of the limit if, if there yeah. are any limits just so, be great to get some general insights on that I think that is that is something to consider heavily um I have been very fortunate but you certainly if you come as you come out of a diploma course in interior design you can really only expect a salary of between 20 and 25,000 I would suggest that's the kind of money I'm offering the design assistant junior designer role um, by the time you get to senior designer you're probably at sort of 45 or 50 more managerial roles so once you're a director something like that then you'll be plus 50 the way people make genuine money is if um, you are running a successful studio yourself um, mm -hmm. if you're working for somebody else, it's always going to be capped by just th that sort of structure. Of and we are not a, we are not a industry that pays huge amounts. I'm going to say that, um, mm -hmm. you have to do it certainly for the love of it, but you, as I say, people who then perhaps do a few years in the industry, get an understanding of how things work, all the sort of small business side of it, which is a huge learning curve. Once you understand all of that and what if you want to set up on your own, then provided you find clients, there's obviously opportunity to earn quite a lot of money. Mm. I mean, I know like how long is this piece of string, but say, I mean, for, for example, your business, what type of clients do they focus on? And um, yeah, what kind of, kind of clients do you tend to work with? Um, so we are high end we probably we're sort of the top end of the market so my boss has been in the industry for 50 years wow. we have quite a quite a select group I mean so my I'm 275 pounds an hour 
um, and my boss is 350 an hour. That's a sort of example for, I mean, that's obviously not what I'm getting paid, but that's, uh, that's what, um, that's what you charge. You, yeah. What yeah. you pay to, to work with us. So, you know, it's not unusual for me to have a fee structure of kind of half a million pounds or something to design people's houses if they've got quite a large property. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, we're big budgets is the answer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's people spending upwards of a million on their interior, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of high net worth individuals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. companies as well I assume sometimes uh co- sometimes commercial commercial work um members clubs we do quite a lot of hotels but normally hotel suites things like that mm-hmm. um, brilliant and um my my last question is do you miss medicine <laughs> <laughs> um I'm sometimes I miss the operating I think yeah but no I don't actually I don't I I enjoyed it for what it was. And I think I stepped away at a time before I really resented it. I was starting yeah. to become miserable is the wrong word, but I was, I was, I wasn't, I was not enjoying myself and needed to step away. And I think I did it at the right time without looking back on it as a horror period of my life. It wasn't a horror period. It was hard work. I enjoyed what it was, but for me, I needed to step away and I mm. have no regrets about doing that. Brilliant. I forgot to ask, like, what kind of price point is the diploma? So I think now it's actually less expensive than when I did it. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think now they do more of it online than when I was doing it. I think now it's about eighteen or nineteen thousand for the year. Yeah. Okay. Nineteen k for the year. Yeah. Okay. And um, finally, if anyone wants to get hold of you or find out more about going into interior design as a doctor, what would you recommend? To get hold of me? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram <laughs> if yeah. you'd like to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I am under Joanna Draper Design, I think. Or you're very, people are very welcome to email me if they wish to email me which is joanna draper1 at gmail.com yeah no, i'm more than more than happy to take questions afterwards fantastic well thank you so much for your time joanna my pleasure it's been so insightful and unique in many ways because as you've described not that many doctors will even consider going down interior design pathway but it's really important that they have at least the basic insights of what it involves and what the opportunities are to progress in that area so thank you so much and best wishes for your plans moving forward thank you ever so much wow i really hope that you found joanna's story inspiring for your own career moves into art, interior design, industry. I think we've learned a lot of really important take-homes there, um, not only about interior design in particular, but also about the process that it took for her to move from you know, what could have been quite an illustrious career as a surgical doctor into something which is completely different. And we know there are several doctors or thousands of thousands of doctors out there who are considering something like that and as you can see it is indeed possible and you can certainly thrive 
and you can progress extremely quickly in a leadership position simply because of the skills that you've already learned as a doctor. So I hope you found that useful and of course we are going to be back again next week with another exciting episode.